You are listening to The Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders, hosted by Wayne Eckerson. Nowhere in my, my graph did I necessarily input the information, Wayne Eckerson works with Joe Hillary. But I can infer that from the graph because of these relationships. And that's the real power of the knowledge graph is this ability to infer information that you didn't manually input. My name is Wayne Eckerson. My job is to help data and analytics leaders succeed. In these podcasts, I talk with experts who share the latest thinking and innovations in our space. I'm glad you've joined the conversation. Our topic today is knowledge graphs, which represent a new human-friendly way to model and navigate data. Knowledge graphs now power many applications in the cloud, including Google Search. They make it easy to find things such as people, organizations, content, and data, and glean insights that aren't manually baked into a model. This is why people say knowledge graphs provide a rich semantic user experience. Joe Hillary, a senior research analyst at Eckerson Group, has been exploring knowledge graphs for the past 12 months. He has written several excellent blogs that explain knowledge graphs in a way that makes sense for even a modeling simpleton like myself. We've combined his blogs into an ebook called Getting Started with Knowledge Graphs, which we'll publish shortly on our website. I highly recommend Joe's article and ebook to anyone who wants to understand the ins and outs of knowledge graphs without straining a brain muscle. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, let's dig in. Uh, what is a knowledge graph for everyone out there who has looked at this like myself and come away still puzzled? Well, that's the million dollar question, right? The short answer is a knowledge graph is a way of organizing and presenting information that's both human and machine readable. It's a kind of knowledge or data storage structure. Rather than storing data in a table the way we might in a traditional database, a knowledge graph stores data in a graph. Um, That is, you have sort of concepts that are linked to one another by relationships instead of rows and columns. Um, That's the simplest piece. The the longer answer is a knowledge graph um, is a network-based approach to storage that uses uh, a similar sort of concept to the way we as humans think about information, where we have one element and we think about it in relation to other things. I was intrigued by how knowledge graphs got started. It's not like they were invented essentially 10 years ago and now we've just discovered it in our space. They actually go back centuries, right? Maybe you could give a little history of knowledge graphs and how we got to where we are today. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing to understand about knowledge graphs is is they're based in graph theory, which is this field of mathematics that can get pretty esoteric. But that field's been around for hundreds of years. There was a a mathematician, Leonard Euler, who sort of invented graph theory. And the, the quintessential first graph problem was trying to find the total number of ways to cross a series of bridges in this Prussian city. And in order to solve this problem uh, and win a prize that had been put forward, Euler invented an entire new kind of mathematics that thought about connections in terms of nodes and edges. So the city was spanned several different islands. There were bridges between each. Each island became a node. Each bridge became a relationship. And by modeling that structure in this way, you could do all sorts of interesting math and determine new things. And that's kind of what a knowledge graph facilitates as well. By putting your data into a graph structure, 
all of a sudden there's an entirely new set of tools you can bring forward to do analysis. So they, they talk about nodes and links. That's kind of like Euler's bridges and islands, right? Exactly. And so the modern iteration we see kind of comes about with the dawn of the internet. Because um, at the end of the day, the internet is a huge network, right? It's a network problem. We have documents, be they web pages or other kinds of assets that are linked to one another. And so the initial sort of World Wide Web was a network of documents. And then some of the folks sort of behind the World Wide Web came back with this second idea, sort of a, an internet of data. And they call it the semantic web. They put forward a lot of information and standards um, to try to get this to catch on. It sort of lingered as a largely academic concern. It never really caught on in quite the way they hoped it would. But this technology and these standards um, sort of came into being around that time in the late 90s, um, early 2000s. This was batting around in academic circles and sort of different corners of the web. And really where the idea of a knowledge graph, and, and Google kind of gets credit for rebranding the semantic web as knowledge graph. They took advantage of this infrastructure, all of these standards for embedding data in the internet um, and making it machine readable to power their search engine. So I'm sure we've all had the experience where we go to Google something and there's this little box that pops up on the side that has a whole bunch of information. We don't even have to click on a website. It's actually gotten Google in some trouble because they just pull snippets out of published content. But it, there's a knowledge card is what they call them. And that's a product of Google's underlying knowledge graph. When you put in that query, they go across, they identify what they think is the node you're really looking for, the concept that you're looking for. And then they pull together a bunch of related information from across that web and compile it into one place for you to see. That knowledge card that you see, that's on the right-hand column, that actually can contain mm -hmm. information from different websites, not just yep. the main one? Exactly. Interesting. Wow. So just uh, for historical perspective, Leonard Euler, he was what, 18th century Prussia? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think he was uh, Central Europe, sort of. Pre-German pre consolidation. Right. So anyway, he, he, go, he goes back a, a ways, but we've, <laughs> this mathematics he invented, the graph theory now has been applied to the internet. And in your reconstruction of that, the documents would be nodes and would hyperlinks actually be the links between those documents? <laughs> yeah. If you're thinking about sort of a network model of the, the early World Wide Web, that's exactly what it is, right? I have a page um, and that's hosted somewhere physically. And then it links to a bunch of other pages via hyperlinks. And so you get into a lot of these ideas of early internet standards and they relate to a lot of the semantic web standards that are later used in some of the underlying technology of a lot of knowledge graphs. So a knowledge graph then is, you know, if we think about the internet, it, it's a model of the documents and the links in the internet and how they're all connected. Right. So a knowledge graph kind of takes that concept a step further. It might include documents, but it's sort of more broadly a model of data in that way. So I, I might have, instead of a web page as sort of every node is a web page or sort of a document-based network, I might just have a concept. I might have Wayne Eckerson as a node in my knowledge graph. And I might say, oh, Wayne Eckerson is related to Eckerson Group because he's the president of Eckerson Group. And I might know that he's connected to Joe Hillary because Joe Hillary also works at the Eckerson Group. Nowhere in my, my graph did I necessarily input the information, Wayne Eckerson works with Joe Hillary. But I can infer that from the graph 
because of these relationships. And that's the real power of the knowledge graph is this ability to infer information that you didn't manually input. So you can really navigate that graph. Uh, it's almost like a, a highway system. You can drive anywhere you want and pass through different cities and learn all uh, kinds of things as you go along. It seems to me it's wonderful. It would be wonderful for analytics, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right on it, Wayne. Uh, that, that's exactly how to think about it. It's sort of all these paths between ideas and concepts and pieces of data. Let's talk a little bit about what people are using this for. I have heard that it's wonderful for money laundering applications, right? And identifying terrorists <laughs> uh, and, and things like that, where there's no database specifically about those things, but you can start to, as you say, infer things by their relationship to other things. So what, what are the main use cases for knowledge graphs today? Yeah, exactly. Well, you landed on a few of them. Um, fraud's a big one. But basically, you can think about a problem that you can address with knowledge graphs as a problem that has to do with networks um, or sort of interactions between a bunch of different things in a group that you could model as a web or a network. Hmm. So uh, in the fraud case, yeah, it's allows you to bring all these different pieces of information to bear at once in a way that you can't necessarily get to efficiently through a normal database-driven approach. In fraud, your nodes would be people, maybe, and organizations, and you can start linking. Yeah, you might have people, organizations, geographic locations, individual transaction data. So, you know, someone might see, oh, I swiped my credit card at this place on a regular basis. You know, I have a whole history of transactions my local grocery store. And, you know, they're normally in about this range. And I have all this information and I can see how that relates to other things. So if I see a similar transaction at a similar time over and over, I, I can map that. That's sort of within the context of, of normal fraud detection approaches. But what a knowledge graphs lets me do is again, infer information that's maybe not directly recorded. So I might have something that allows me to see, oh, all of these different items we're shipping are going to the same address, even though it's a bunch of different users. It looks like there's a hundred people who all live at this one address. That starts to raise some red flags. Maybe there's some money laundering happening. Maybe there's something fishy going on. Now, at no point did I say all of these people live at the same address, but because I have the address as a node, I have all of these people connected to it. And there's this idea of uniqueness within the knowledge graph, right? That address has a single instance. And everything that connects to the address connects to that one instance of the address, I can bring it together. Even though in a database, I might have that address 100 times for each of those 100 aliases. Right. So if you're hunting for terrorists, you might see that uh, these individuals who are otherwise very dispersed were in the same city at the same time for two days. Uh, and then they were. Exactly. You know, uh, but it's not all gloom and doom examples, too. I mean, some other great use cases for knowledge graphs are, are things like content management or even customer relationship management, where you think about, okay, I've got a bunch of individuals or a bunch of different kinds of content, and I need to keep up with how that relates to one another. So you might think about sort of if you have a website and that website has different versions all around the world, you sell products in the UK and in Europe and the US, so you need to have prices in pounds and euros and dollars on the various versions of your website. Anytime you put up a new piece of content, you want to make sure that it's localized in all of your markets. 
Well, within a knowledge graph, you can have sort of the core piece of content. You can have all the locations that connect to it. And then you can map directly the changes that need to be made, sort of the deltas between these pieces of content, but still thinking of it as one piece. So I might have, oh, you know, here's the new web page for the new product that we're launching. And here's the French version and the English version and the Spanish version. But I still think of them as one concept, right? It's just one web page. I can model that in my graph where I can say this is one item and here are different variations of them. And this is how they're connected. This document is connected to that one because it's the Spanish version of that. So what's the coolest application of a knowledge graph you've ever seen? Oh, coolest application. I don't know. There's some pretty neat things out there. I think, you know, kind of going back the other direction, there, there's an interesting case, uh, a company called Trisada put together a, a bad actor knowledge graph, basically. Um, the Pentagon Papers and some of the other big releases that helped folks sort of look into the, the dark world of finance. They put a ton of that information into a knowledge graph and made it publicly available. So you can sort of query that graph on your own for free and, and sort of see all these connections between different players in that space and sort of what they were doing. Um, that helps you sort of see how, you know, people offshore accounts and what organizations are involved in that. Okay, so so I'm a company. I've gotten some religion on knowledge graphs. I've got a good use case for it. How do I build one? How do I go about doing that? The great thing about knowledge graphs at the moment is the robustness of the industry. And that, that's where we've really seen the difference in the last five, 10 years. It used to be you wanted to build one of these um, you had to be a Google, you had to be an Airbnb, you know, you had to be yeah, one of these big tech companies that has that engineering talent sort of build a knowledge graph from scratch. You've got the, you know, internal expertise to understand how to do that. Um, now there's a lot of off the shelf tools that make this a lot easier. So you start with where are you storing your information? And so that's going to be a graph database. Technically you don't have to build a knowledge graph on a graph database. But as the name suggests, it's easier to store graph information in a database optimized for graphs than one that's not. <laughs> uh, and so there's kind of two main flavors of graph database. So you have triple stores, which basically store relationships. So you have in a triple, a subject, an object, and then a relationship between it, basically. So I might have Wayne and I might have Eckerson Group. And then in between, I have is president of, that's the name of the relationship. Uh, and so that's a triple, right? I've got three pieces and I can just store a whole bunch of those triples. And that is a triple store, basically. Mm -hmm. The other kind is called a property graph. And so property graphs evolved a little bit after um, the original semantic web um, stuff. So semantic web kind of corresponds pretty well to triple stores. Um, it's called the RDF standard. The property graph community sort of went, this isn't this is a little too rigid. So there's a lot of really strict standards around RDF. It's not letting us do exactly the things that we need to be able to do with it. And so the property graph approach sort of augments it. It allows you to basically add attributes to the relationship. So instead of having every single thing, so be a relationship to a node, some of that information can be stored in the relationship. Um, within the RDF um, triple store framework, I have a concept that is Wayne Eckerson. And I have a concept that is Wayne Eckerson's first name and his last name and sort of all of these other pieces. And that becomes kind of tedious to build out sometimes. Uh, now there's advantages to sort of sticking with the standards and the interoperability that comes with it, but 
if you're trying to build out something really fast, it can sort of bog down that process. So that, that's where the property graphs come in and say, okay, well, here's Wayne and Wayne went to Williams College. And I can say, you know, Wayne, Williams, and in between I can have, you know, went to. And then I might have the year appended to that as a property of the relationship. Hmm. Um, instead of saying, you know, here's the year as its own independent node and trying to figure out how do I relate these three things. So kind of uh, blending some of the characteristics of a traditional database where you can define attributes inside of a table. Now we're defining attributes as properties inside of relationship. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that's going to be. So the first piece, you choose your storage layer. Then you need to sort of think more conceptually about how you're going to relate all of these things. So the relationship is sort of this critical piece of the knowledge graph that you don't have in the same way in a more traditional database. And so that's what you really need to think long and hard about. And so there's a whole field of ontology, right? Which is sort of thinking about how do things relate to one another? Building out tax taxonomies, building out hierarchies where I say, you know, what is president of a company? What are the attributes that go with that? What kinds of relationships is that capable of having? Okay, so I have a president of a company. So there's got to be a company, right? And that's got to have an individual connected to it who is the president. And sort of coming up with all of the different possibilities for the types of nodes and the types of relationships that can exist in your graph. Typically, I sort of identify there's, there's two core roles you need to build a knowledge graph. You need someone who can do the technical piece, the, the coding, you know, literally setting up the databases importing the data, building out the graph, and so has experience with some of those graph technologies. And then you need someone who can design the graph. And so that's your ontologist, your graph designer. And so a lot of those folks actually come out of library science because oh. um, that's the discipline that's really spent decades thinking about information and how it relates to one another and how to catalog and build taxonomies. And so, you know, those are, if you're starting on a knowledge graph project and you don't already have folks on your team who are really enthusiastic and knowledgeable at graph, those are kind of your two key hires, your technologist and your ontologist. How easy is it to find both of those roles these days? Any idea? Getting easier. So graph technologies, and this is you know one of the, the things that has historically made it harder to get into, um, are different, right? It's not that they aren't as approachable, but they're not used as widely. And so lots of folks haven't really come across them and so haven't had the opportunity to build those skills. It's pretty easy to find someone who knows SQL. It's a little bit harder to find someone who knows graph query languages, uh, especially because on the property graph side, every graph database has its own property graph language for querying. Um, there's some standards on the RDF side, and there's a lot of work around building a standard on the property graph side, but that, that's still a, a work in progress. But as more companies start to use knowledge graphs, as more folks kind of play around with them in their free time, it's getting easier to find folks who have used some of those tools before. Well, let's talk uh, about tools. What Are there any products out there that will accelerate this whole process? Talk about the Knowledge Graph platform. There's kind of two key pieces. One is the storage layer, right? There's a lot of standalone graph databases that spend a lot of time sort of working on optimization, speed, your usual things you look at when you look at a database, um, except for graph. And then you have sort of larger platforms that combine that storage layer with um, a place to sort of build out the information structure, that ontology, sort of the con the conceptual level um, of the knowledge graph. Wow. And so there are standalone tools for that. Um, and there are increasing sort of platforms that bring both of those pieces together. So who are some of the leaders in the space uh, of, say, platform leaders? 
OntoText is a big one. They have GraphDB as their, their base graph database. Um, and then on top of that, they have a bunch of different tools for helping you build out the, the graph network. Neo4j is another one. So OntoText is RDF triple store base layer. Neo4j has a platform as well. They're a property graph player. And so they you know, focus a lot around building out those functionalities within the property graph context that already exist in the RDF context. Excellent. Excellent. So you know, I have to ask this question. They seem very powerful, these knowledge graphs. We've got tools and technology that that been out there for quite a while now, and I think are fairly mature. Do you think knowledge graphs will ever replace traditional databases and traditional ways of modeling, or just be a supplement for specific use cases? Yeah, it's definitely the latter. Um, so there's some things that graphs are really great at, right? Those use cases where you're dealing with graph type data, things that naturally fall into networks. It's brilliant for that. Not everything is that. Graphs isn't going to replace sort of your traditional database. It's going to allow you to do other things and to do certain uh, things much, much better. So it's not, it's not really good for transactions, it, obviously, but it will be great for, as we said earlier, analytics, right? Exactly. So graph analytics is its own piece of the puzzle too. Um, there's lots of different kinds of analytics you can do on a graph that you can't do on other structures just by nature of how that data is stored. And so it has a lot to do with the inference that I've been referencing as well. So it, you know, it has sort of these specific graphy use cases that it's really great for, but not all use cases lend themselves to graph. Um, so it's, it's more of an augment than a replace. What I think it is particularly powerful for, and we've started to see this as people talk about data fabrics, right? How do you relate all of the different pieces of software that are already in your data environment. And if you think about your data environment, all the tools you use and all the relationships they have with one another as a graph, you can start to do some really interesting and powerful things. And so that's where you can sort of see the graph as maybe a layer across all of your different kinds of data stores and resources and tools as that, that bridge between them. So I might you know, keep all of my data in a traditional database for my CRM tool. And I might you know, have another transactional database that's really good for time series data or you know, IoT data. And so I might then have a graph that maps where all of these different things are and the relationships between them. And so what a graph can do is it can even store the instructions for accessing that. And so you get sort of this baked in virtualization piece where if I use my graph as the main point of query, I can build a graph query that has nested SQL queries to access the data that's sitting outside of the graph. All right. That's why we see companies like Cambridge Semantics using... Exactly. Yeah. So Cambridge Semantics, Stardog, both of them sort of play in that space. Yeah. And they're building out data fabrics using their knowledge graph and their data connectivity software. Right. You can almost think of the, the data fabric in that approach as a knowledge graph of your data environment. Right. Cool. Okay. I didn't, I didn't see that before. That's great. So what would you recommend to companies that want to get started with using knowledge graphs for whatever purpose? Yeah. Start small. That's the number one thing. So whenever I, I talk to practitioners um, or folks who, you know, use knowledge graphs, it's always start small, right? The big picture, if you put everything into your graph, you can do a ton of stuff. Don't start there. <laughs> start, start with a small manageable project. 
pick a very particular use case, identify what data is going to be relevant, build that into a graph. And then if you do that over and over again for little projects, you can start to graph to map those graphs together and it builds into this larger graph over time. If you start with a big graph, the effort it's going to take to see a return on that investment is going to be so huge that most of those projects are going to languish and then fail. But if you can start with a small graph, see immediate results, you can then build momentum to expand that graph into other use cases over time. Yeah. Well, that, that's sage advice for many areas of, uh, of IT. <laughs> yeah, certainly not unique to knowledge graphs, but um, very else, true for that. What area. else would you recommend then? I would recommend, you know, sort of starting with your team. Graph is an area that has a lot of enthusiasts. Um, it's still largely driven by folks who are just really excited about using graph-based approaches. Mm -hmm. um, and so you might be surprised, there might be folks um, on your team already who are excited about or dabbling in graph on the side. Figure out what your resources are in-house, um, kind of before you get started, do that uh, census. And then, you know, as needed, um, you can bring on other folks to augment that expertise. Um, like I said, the, the two core areas you need to cover, and they could be a dedicated person, or it might be a group of people working together, but you need to make sure you've got folks who know how to think very rigorously about the, the ontology um, and sort of the concept layer and folks who understand how to use the underlying technology that have familiarity with graph query languages to actually build the graph. And so you need to make sure those two pieces are covered. If you have one without the other, you're not going to get very far. So last question, what is the future of knowledge graphs? Where do we go from here? I'm so glad you asked, Wayne, because the future of knowledge graphs, I think, is actually less people building out their own graphs and more people using graphs without knowing it. I think the real area of growth for knowledge graphs in the next decade are applications with embedded knowledge graphs for business use cases. And so we see this in tools, you know, as you know, I spend a lot of time researching data catalogs. Catalogs, as you might guess, are a great use case for knowledge graphs, right? I've got a bunch of data assets. They relate to each other in some way. I have a ton of metadata that relates to those objects. I can put that into a graph very easily. Yeah. So increasingly, we see data catalogs using a graph as the underlying layer. Uh, data.world is an excellent example of this. Data.world, their entire application is basically a knowledge graph with a really user-friendly interface set on top of it. You never know you're using a graph, but there's a knowledge graph running underneath that. Uh, Informatica uses a knowledge graph in their data catalog as well. And it's not just data catalogs. I mean, CRM tools are another clear use case for this. When you have a bunch of concepts that are people and organizations and relationships between them, I think we're going to start to see knowledge graphs kind of enter that space. Again, it's sort of the engine running under these applications. Not something folks are necessarily interacting with directly, not necessarily something they're even aware is there but something that's providing the capabilities for that business use case, for the business application. There's, a, there's an interesting example of a note-taking app right now called Rome um, that uses knowledge graphs as well to sort of map the ideas in the notes that you're taking, right? So you have a bunch of documents, they have concepts in them. It relates all of those concepts across your documents. Again, you don't know that you're using a knowledge graph. You're just typing notes on your phone but there's a knowledge graph under the hood that's facilitating a lot of the really interesting features of that tool. Interesting. Okay, so the future is embedded. Embedded knowledge graphs will be doing this advanced stuff and not even knowing it. That's great. Exactly. Well, Joe, thanks so much for sharing your insights about knowledge graphs. Pleasure talking with you, Ian. Always happy to. 
Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more insights on data or analytics, visit our website at www.eckerson.com.